0: Hey friends, welcome to the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. I'm Rob Kosberg, and every week I show you how to use a best-selling book to grow your income and your impact. And if you're interested in having your own best-selling book, I recorded a short video explaining our trademark process at beginmybook.com. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. It's Rob here with another episode of our Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. Excited to be with you. Got a great guest. Uh, Jason Lordson is transforming management as a keynote speaker, trainer, and author. He's the best-selling author of two books you can see behind him, Unlocking High Performance, How to Use Performance Management to Engage and Empower Employees to Reach Their Full Potential, and Social Gravity, Harnessing the Natural Laws of Relationships. Uh, Jason, liberates managers from outdated and inhumane practices. I've got to hear about the inhumane practices uh, so they can cultivate human potential at work and improve people's lives. Jason, good to have you here, my friend. Looking forward to a good conversation.
1: Thanks for having me, Rob.
0: Tell me... Like in a nutshell, who you serve, what you do, like what your magic is. Obviously, I, I explained your bio, but you know, give us uh, maybe in layman's terms who you work with and and what your magic is to help them.
1: Sure. Well, I would say, I mean, the, the most fundamental thing that I do, I think, is help managers understand that a lot of what they've been taught about how to get the best out of their people is nonsense and that there is a way that is much more human to approach it. And it's really based um, most fundamentally in relationships. It's based in fostering better relationships. It's based in having a deeper understanding of what people really need to be whole and to be successful and then giving that to them. And so that is, I think, tactically what I do. And I would say... You know, my, my Don Quixote kind of tilting at windmills thing is. You know, I'm trying to make work suck less for people. Like I really believe that (laughs) work work doesn't have to be dreadful. It doesn't have to be a burden. It doesn't have to. It shouldn't be something that wears you down. It should be something that lifts you up and energizes you and gives you meaning and purpose. And so, that's kind of my my big vision for my work.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Well explained. Thank you. Um, Can you differentiate for me? inhumane practices versus more human type practices. Like, you know, are there some categories or a way that that can be described? Well, I
1: mean, I think, Clearly, Rob, you're a, an entrepreneur, probably. So you haven't worked for anyone in a while, a I would time. guess, which is why you're puzzled by that. Anybody I am, that I am
0: unemployable, no question. Yeah, any about. that
1: is, as am I, as yeah. am I, and um, which is one of the ironies of my work that I help other people learn how to be better employers, and I'm unemployable. Right. But I think you know people that are living in it or have been in it. You know, the the inhumane piece of it is just treating people. You know, treating people like a means or a mechanism of production, right? That's traditionally how work was structured. That's yeah. what I write about in Unlocking High Performance. I start with kind of a, you know, the first couple of chapters are about how did we end up with such a messed up system of work? And it was largely because in the early days when management was created back in the late. 1800s, early 1900s, when we were industrializing the Western world, we needed to get people to behave like machines for long periods of time. And so management was literally designed to get human beings to behave like machines, right, to produce output. And that system of management has basically perpetuated. And so we treat people like equipments. We treat people, you know, we manage people like we're enforcing a contract, that is inhumane what what is humane or human is treating people as if you know sort of operating with the assumption that everybody wakes up in the morning and wants to be successful and well and happy everybody has that natural motivation and capability to be successful when they are presented with the opportunity and the means to do so and so our job is to recognize and treat them as unique talented gifted human beings with potential to be unleashed, right? And to assume and not assume that they don't want to or that they can't or whatever. So that's the fundamental difference is really in how we show up and think about people at work.
0: That's good. That's really helpful. You know, I would assume, you probably know these statistics a lot better than me, but I would assume that some of this has also grown out of a need within corporations and businesses because- well, in the past, you know, our fathers and grandfathers worked at a company for thirty-five or forty years, perhaps being treated like a machine, and maybe acting uh, like that machine. But it certainly seems like more recent generations—it's more transient, right? People aren't staying at jobs for thirty-five or forty years. They're, I guess, they're seeking fulfillment. They're seeking something more than mm-hmm. just the monetary. Exchange. So is this an outcropping of like, wow, we've got to get our stuff together as a business because this isn't working for this generation?
1: Yes. And actually, it's being amplified, you know, in this moment, right? There's the conversation about. The great resignation, the pandemic actually took what you just described. And if that was kind of some embers or some sparks that were out there and threw a a bucket of gasoline on it. And now we have this fire that's burning of people being like, no more. I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not okay with being treated like this. But I think also, also work has changed, right? 50, 60, 70 years ago, a lot of the means of production, the things we did is we we sat and we ran machines or we mechanically, you know, we were doing rote kind of mechanical tasks and it was based on using our muscles and using repetitive motion. Whereas today, we need people's ingenuity and creativity. We live in an innovation and information economy. And so- People are still a means to creating work product, but we're more dependent on the innate capabilities of human beings—sort of the really messy, complicated, beautiful stuff—that right. we didn't want. Like before, that was a that was a, a bug in the system back in the old days. Yeah. Whereas today, it's actually what we need, and so I think it's both. It's people are expecting something different and work needs something different the kind yeah. of businesses we're in require something different so it's both
0: yeah i had an interesting conversation with my uh, middle son he's 27 he works for jpl nasa and uh he was asking me what i thought of this uh, anti-work movement mm-hmm. uh we had a long mm-hmm. conversation about that and um you know i know a little bit of it not probably not enough to have a inspired conversation on it but he and I certainly had a good conversation i i do believe that people are are built you know again i have a anecdotal uh, evidence of this but i do believe that there's a desire for us to be productive like in an individual i think we want to produce something we want to do something that lasts that Uh, gives us inspiration, et cetera. And there must be this tremendous frustration with people that are kind of throwing their hands up in the air, especially after the pandemic, and are like, you know, I'm just going to find a way not to work at all. Uh, You know, are you you seeing any of that in the corporations, uh, you know, the companies that you mentor, that you coach, et cetera? You know, what's interesting about the anti-work movement is that I think if you
1: dig in on that a little bit, what you find, at least I I think, what I've seen, and and I am no expert in that, so I don't want to speak for them, but I think what it feels to me they're saying isn't necessarily anti-work, but it's sort of it's anti the way we work Mm. or the way we have been working. It's like anti-being treated like I'm disposable it, yeah. anti not being valued anti you know being mistreated like all of those things so I yeah. don't I think I think you're right and I think a lot of organizations are realizing they're starting to wake up to the reality that people they want to do meaningful work but I think also underneath that is one of the challenges and it's a, a reckoning that's starting to happen finally is also A lot of people have been working for less than, less than a living wage, less than they're not only showing up being treated like a piece of machinery to produce work output, but they're not even being paid enough to take care of their very basic, their most basic needs. And so now they're working two jobs or they're, and so like there's so much about, about what's happening right now, which is just a long overdue reckoning. And I think it's a, it's really a, a reorientation or reinvention of work that. As long it's needed, it's needed. I mean, COVID's done a lot of terrible things, but what's happening to the workplace, in my opinion, is a really positive disruption that we're yeah. seeing.
0: Yeah, I guess it's not anti-work. It's anti the work that's available, right? That's right. In some ways. It's, uh, you know, because of the pay, because of the conditions, because of the job that I'm being offered that doesn't give me inspiration anyway, why don't I just find something else to do? Um, that's right. Yeah, makes total sense to me. Tell me about, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, what you do and and how you help and serve others. I'm sure you've come into some very ugly situations. Uh, I won't ask for specifics, although that might be kind of fun to hear. But tell me what you see when you go into a company, obviously no names, but, and how you go about, you know, are there five steps? Are there, you know, things that you're in particular looking for and diagnosing? What does that look like? How does that work?
1: So... What I'll tell you is that my business is uh, like one of the things that has, you know, the longer the longer you're in business for yourself, and I'm sure this is true for you. I think it's true for all entrepreneurs is that you get you get clear on who you're best suited to serve. And one of the things that I've realized is I'm not interested in, in as a as a practice. I'm not interested in helping fix broken companies where. You know, I just don't have the patience to teach leaders things or people things that. Um, should be intuitively obvious to them. Yeah. I, this is just as a, a bias being. I've learned as right. a human. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I shouldn't have to come in and tell you yeah. that it's a be- it's best practice to be kind to your people right. or like right. to t- value right. them. You
0: suck so, as a person, so uh, yeah. right. I, don't know if, I don't know that this is outside my scope of work.
1: <laughs> like Everything I say to you is going to hurt and be offensive. So probably we should just part ways now. Right. right. And so my clients tend to be organizations that have already kind of had the awakening Like they've realized like, okay, we know there's a different way. We know that we need to retool how we work, but we don't know how. We need help. And then usually my intervention today is helping retool their managers with a different mindset and a different set of skills for how they show up for their people. So that's generally where I'm at. So I'm kind of like a... You know, I'm more of a a guide to help you find your way to the promised land. Once you've decided you want to get there, I'm not, I'm not going to show up and try to convince you to go. Right. That's I I do that in some of my writing and thought leadership, but that's not the work that I do at an organizational level.
0: Got it. And as things are progressing, are there like key performance indicators or metrics that you're looking at? You know, are employees surveyed about their happiness or like how are how do we know, you know, that there's progress being made? And, you know, besides looking way down the road and, and seeing a happy, you know, healthy company.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I think there's a balance, and this is the, you know, in my work, a lot of people that do my work, I think get tilted a little bit too far out of balance towards things like just measuring sentiment or just like, you know, are all of our employees happy? It's like, well, you know, it's important to have happy employees. Yeah, sure, we want happy employees, but how are they performing as an individual? Because what we want is happy, productive employees. Right. That's at the end of the day. So, So, I would say when you're thinking about metrics, there's a balance. Like you should, a well run organization has clear metrics and measures around how do we measure, how do we manage individual team and organizational performance. And at the same time, we're also measuring individual, you know, individual sentiment. We're measuring things like, how do people feel about the work experience? Does it align with what they need? Are they getting the things they need to be productive? Um, there's measures around well-being. I think also generally retention is a pretty strong... That's where the rubber meets the road often. you know, If people are sticking around or leaving, that's as, as sort of loud a signal as you can get. But I would say there's got to be balance, right? You want to balance between surveys and other measures of sentiment from the employee, like how are they feeling about their job? how are they, do they perceive that they're getting what they need? Are they satisfied balanced against performing yeah right those two things have to coexist and yeah. I, sometimes i think a lot of organizations are out of balance one way or the other and when you yeah. balance both is when it, it that's the sweet spot
0: that's good that's good i'm sure some uh, business owners take a sigh of relief hearing some of that right i mean there are bo- both are certainly important you know i guess some employees just aren't happy people right just like some managers aren't happy people and don't have as the water boy would say the the social skills uh necessary right. to <laughs> to all right. perform their duties right what is it the peter principle or the matthew principle of, of yeah. w- which one is it being uh advanced beyond your level of,
1: yeah peter i think that's a peter principle, peter principle. You, you're you sort of rise to your level of incompetence competence, or something right. <laughs> yeah mixing level up of disciples, so yeah 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 no yeah that's right that's right no i think that's true i think you know, it's one of my pet peeves is that, and, and I have to be careful about how I talk about this because it's not wrong to want your employees to be happy. Like, we want people to be happy. But at the same token, happy isn't the outcome that we're after solely. Like, the organization exists to perform. Right because if if we're not producing the outcome that our clients need from us or that that our customers want, then we have no reason to exist as an organization right hence no jobs, no right. pay, no nothing. and so performance is the imperative and so everything exists to support performance, but there are different ways to get there. That's the humane inhumane differentiation. What kind of organization do you want? to run and on some so so on some level what i'm preaching is an ideology and even deeper than that it's a moral ideology on some level it's like what kind of leader do you want to be what kind of organization do you want to be what kind of impact do you want to have on people and society and communities because when work works well for people when it's the kind of experience i described earlier that i'm trying to create means better people that are healthier people that can then they take that back to their families, to their communities. They have a it's a ripple effect that makes the world better. Like work can change the world when work's working well, but you got to make that decision as a leader. Yeah. Like what kind of impact are you having on people? Because you can get to performance a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah. That's good. Really, really good. Let's switch gears for just a moment. You have you have two books. One seems to be more Targeted than the other, social gravity unlocking uh, high performance. Talk to me about the differences of those two books. I know and and the similarities. I know that there are threads of similarities having to do with relationships, etc. But but tell me about the differences of of those two books. Who they're for, etc.
1: Sure. Well, social gravity. I mean, th- there was a lot of years between the two books, and so you know, social gravity was conceived of and written, published clear back in 2012, I guess, early 2012. And I mean, that's what you would describe more. It's more of a self-help book. It was, it's a how-to book for people to understand why relationships matter, how they matter, and then how to build the kind of relationships and network you need to succeed in your life, whatever that means to you. And Unlocking High Performance was more of a book for organizational leaders and human resources leaders as kind of a blueprint for how to design an organizational kind of management process to unlock the the potential and performance of their people in a way that felt good to people and produced results. And so the theme is relationships. Relationships is at the heart of all of my work, but they're very different. They're very different books. There's, you know, eight, nine, 10 years difference between the writing of those two books. So I was a very different person and a very yeah. different professional between the two as well. And frankly, even, even the way that they got written, the way they got published is very different. And so they're, they're two very different things, but that's who, they, that's who they're for. Gotcha.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I would say your Unlocking High Performance is probably... What's certainly your more recent book, but it's probably the book that is also maybe a little bit more targeted towards your ideal client and using it yep. to grow your business. Is that accurate? That's true. Um, along those lines, you know, I, it's interesting how the way you just described it. I'll tell you what I see all the time, and we've done over 1,100 books for our clients in the last. 10 years, um, and I have this conversation over and over and over again. Client will come to me. They want to write their first book. They always want to go broad with their first book. You know, They want to write a book to reach as big a population as possible. They want to write you know, a great sure. fill-in-the-blank book. I always try to direct them, no, 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 no. Look, that can be your second, your third, your fourth, whatever. Your first book really needs to be targeted, ultra-targeted to your ideal client, uh, using it to get what it is you want speaking engagements more customers use it in a book funnel etc cetera, et cetera. is that like whether you got advice or not is that was that kind of the experience that you went through as well you know in writing your first book versus your your second book just wondering
1: i would say that i've learned that lesson more broadly through my business than through my my books the book and i know this is this is kind of sacrilegious probably in your business as people listen to this but like i didn't write either of my books really to sell books yeah and because of that i don't think i made wise choices about if i were sitting down today if you and i were sitting down to write you know talk about let's write a book or i'm going to write a book and you're going to help me i get like today i would be like okay Here's who we're gonna write to because I've I've gotten that clarity in all the rest of my business. Right. But you know, the the first book was really Joe and I were had been really active young professionals, and so when we wrote that book, it was kind of a culmination of what we had learned, and we had this curiosity about what had happened and why it had happened for us, and so we kind of wrote it. And so it's a book that I would say is it speaks to everyone, but it was really calibrated that way. But it was just sort of happened. It was just us being reflected in the book. Right. Right unlocking high performance is kind of my i mean it was basically a download of like here's everything i've learned or here's the you know the most important things i've learned over the last 20 years of of journey doing this work and so it is not as narrow as it should be but it it certainly i had some some in mind some sense of who it was for, but I would say that, you know, I worked with a publisher on that book and their goals weren't as niched as they probably should have been. They could have been, but it could have been a lot more niched. I think in hindsight, if I would have narrowed the focus and been more specific, we probably would have sold a lot more
0: books. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, It's not heresy. In my Bible, that's canon, if you know what I mean. I'm like, that's what we talk to our clients about. Um, We're not trying to write, uh, you know, the next war and peace. We're not trying to write something that's going to sell a million copies or maybe even a 100,000 copies. Obviously, we have clients that have done that. But ideally, we're trying to write something that if it sold 10,000 copies, it will mean millions of dollars in revenue and thousands of lives impacted. And, you know, you can always go broad. If you start broad, well, let's put it this way. I've, I've seen this a lot with my clients. The ones that start broad never, almost never make the kind of impact that, they would have made had they started narrow and that's right and it's a shame uh because you know they just believe the opposite and maybe if those that are listening today you know because they've heard it from me over and over and over again maybe hearing it from you they'll believe it more you know how that is but Mm -hmm. um you know the more narrow you can be especially with your first book or second book the more income and the more impact you're really going to make and so uh thank you for for iterating that that's i think really helpful for people
1: it's true of, I mean, that's a like that's a marketing idiom, right? I mean, that's yeah. It, it is true of all marketing. It is that the more specific you get, the more focused you are on who you serve, and the more you can speak to them directly about whatever it is they're they care about and are trying to solve. Like when you see a book and you go, "Huh, that looks like it's spe- it's like it was written for me." you're obviously going to buy that book. And yep. and it's so counterintuitive, though. That's one of the hardest lessons to learn as an entrepreneur, as an author, as whatever, because you think... The broader it is, the more people can find it. Yeah, the more people it can impact, and that is the complete. Like if it's written for everyone, then it's speaking to no one. Yep,
0: it's and just it's just more truth. noise. Just more noise it is. in the marketplace. Uh, the only way to cut through the noise is to address somebody really specifically, and then they they take notice. They're like, "Oh, okay, that is speaking to me. All this other stuff is speaking to everybody else, so that doesn't apply to me." So, really good. Really Absolutely good. right. Talk to me about your books. We've gone into the pragmatism of uh, of writing a book. I always like to find out from the guests that I have, how are you using your book to get more of what it is you want, more clients, more speaking engagements, more PR and media, et cetera, and any stories around that, whether it's social gravity, but probably more the recent book, Unlocking sure. High Performance. Um, how are you using that to land more customers? Well, for me, a lot of it is, you know, I'm in the, I describe my
1: business as a thought leadership business. So thought leadership depends on, Perceived or real credibility, right? Social proof. And so, you know, if you're listening to this as a podcast, you can't see, but behind me on my bookshelf, I, you know, I practice full bookshelf credibility. This is one of my settings. You know, I have, I have both of my books prominently facing behind me so that people understand, like, this is a person who has written books. And for whatever reason, we all, I mean, that's why people are listening to this. That's why people, that's why your business exists. Yep. People assume if you've written a book that you must know what you're talking about, which is not indeed true. It just means you can put a lot of words on paper, mm-hmm. but there's an assumption and that's helpful. And so for me, the way that I use my book is more so, I use it probably more so as a as a mechanism, as social proof that I know what I'm talking about. I use it for, you know, it's, I use it all the time. I get paid to create thought leadership constantly. And so people are always like author of, right? And then my book is always visible in different things and it's always, we're referencing back to it. I use it to speak, to drive speaking opportunities. I've had people, I have had people that. You know, find the book, read the book and reach out and say, Hey, we'd like to talk to you. And I it's I mean, I've had clients that'll find the book, read the book, reach out, and just want to hire me to help advise them about working through a project or something like that. Those and so, are great
0: phone calls, aren't they?
1: Oh my God, they're the best. <laughs> they're the best. You're like, okay, all of that, all of that blood, sweat, and tears is yeah. now is paying off. And so I would say that historically is how I used what I would say, and I the the caveat, and this is one thing I always tell people is and i think your your business is designed to help people with this as i understand it we self we self published our first book so social gravity was self published unlocking high performance i went through a traditional publisher route Partly the reason I did that was because of the whole social proof thing, right? If someone else is willing to publish your words, that's even more valuable sometimes. So I wanted to do both. But what I would say is that the first book was infinitely more valuable because in that case, like I could send... You know, like I could I could buy my own books inexpensively and I could give them out. I could send them, I could gift them. i could I used that book like crazy for years, yeah, to do business development, to be generous with people, to you know all I did that all the time because I could. I can't afford to use this book. Like it costs me so much money to buy right. it that I can't afford to give it away in mass. Right. And so I can give away one or two here and there, but like I can't send a team 30 copies Yeah. because that's going to break the bank. And so, or what, you know what I mean? Like I, I could, but I'm not going to. Yeah. And so I think it's really, it's really important to know what you want your book to do when you're making decisions about how you're gonna how you're gonna write it, how you're gonna publish it, and all of that, because because it has real consequences in in the way that you can leverage it in your business. At least that's been my experience.
0: No, that's really good. You know, I we do a number of things for clients. One of the things that we do, maybe not as publicly, is we help clients build book funnels. For my book, which is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It's published through my company, so I own 100% rights, royalties, and control. And so we run book funnels, and it cost me, you know, a couple bucks to print it. And so, you know, I can offer the book free and just pay shipping seven dollars and ninety five cents. And in essence, I can ship it, fulfill it, and print it all for less than seven dollars and ninety five cents because I'm not having to pay retail or an inflated wholesale number through a through a publisher. And people will come to us and say you know i love your book funnel and and you know I, I know what your numbers are stats we've sold tens of thousands of books through my book funnel and millions of dollars in revenue and uh and they'll say C- can you do that and one of the first questions i ask is you know who owns the rights to your book right. do you own it or or does the the publisher own it? and if they ever say publisher i'm the first question after that then is okay what does it cost for you to buy your book and often it's 10 12 15 bucks to buy a book and yeah. i'm like you know it probably won't work for you because that's right. It's it's now become you know too much of a loss on the front end to right. print you know get those books and so it's it's you know well said I guess is uh, that story is just leading up to
1: <laughs> that's right well and and you know like I said it, just being clear about my you know my motivations with. You know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I have this book. And part of the reason I have this book is because I was approached by a publisher and they, you know, they were soliciting books and I'd been thinking about writing another one. And so, I knew going into it, I'm not going to get rich on this book. I knew that I knew all the downsides to it. But the reason I did it was twofold. I signed a contract because number one, I knew that that deadline would mean I'm actually going to get a book written because I yeah. have to. yeah. And number two, I wanted, like I said, I wanted the social proof of that imprint right uh, on my book other than that there was no i self publishing was better in every possible single way other than those two things and yeah. you could create your own deadlines you don't have to sign a contract to do that right. that was, was just right. for me at the time it made sense
0: that is helpful but, though, putting your feet to the fire is helpful it does it <laughs> it, it,
1: it helps having yeah. someone do that it does help and it got it worked for me but i think most of the time it just doesn't make sense because yeah. the, the other thing you know most authors learn the hard way is my eyes were very open going into it is your publisher, depending on, you know, depending on the situation, but most of the time your publisher is going to do nothing to market your book. Yeah. So if you want to sell your, you're going to have to sell your book and they're going to make all the money. That's right. So just be aware that that's what you're getting into. I knew very, I knew upfront that that was the, that that was the situation. But like
0: I said, it served my purpose at the time. I don't regret it at all, yeah. but I I wouldn't do it again. Yeah, most traditional publishing contracts and agreements are uh, crappy employment uh, contracts. You're basically right. uh, getting a small check. Oftentimes, it's a very small check, and sometimes it's just services. Uh, we'll edit your book. We'll et cetera yep. in exchange for you going out there and hustling. That's <laughs> and right. Going out there and that's selling right.
1: it just yeah. sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a great business, and that's you know that's the. I had just somebody again the other day I was talking they were like well they're they've been shopping their book you know going the traditional route yeah. you know yeah. agent talking yeah. to publishers and they're like well apparently I don't have enough Twitter followers right. or I don't have enough whatever and I'm just like now you're they don't they don't really care about the yeah. content of your book what they care about is can do you, you, you look it? like someone who can sell <laughs> yep. Enough books for them to profit off of it. And that's that's it's a marketing game. And so so I you know, it's it's really you gotta really want to do it for the right reasons and you gotta have people that can help you if you're you gonna use it to to accelerate your business you've got to be smart and you've got to know what you're doing and you got to be
0: focused love it love it well look you heard this from jason not from me people will say well you rob of course you're going to say that because that's your business (laughs) and i'm like you got me it is but i'm telling you i'm telling the (laughs) truth here so now you've heard it from jason not from me so good (laughs) And I'm not even a client. And I'm still telling you this is true. So (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, Jason, great. Oh, great conversation. Really appreciated, you know, the uh, candid nature of it and the things that you shared. Uh, Where can we direct people to get your books, learn more about what you do for business owners that are watching and or listening? Um, You know, where can we send them?
1: Sure. Well, the two best places to find me are my website which is jasonlortson.com. You can find kind of all my stuff there, management training, the books, the speaking. Or I'm really active on LinkedIn. Okay. So if you can if you can spell my last name, you're going to find me because I'm all, you know, just type my name into the Googles and it'll give you a whole bunch of ways to get a hold of me. I try to be very easy to find. So awesome. that's where you can find me.
0: And Lortson is spelled L-A-U, uh, L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. Correct. Awesome. Great. Jason, thanks so much. Thanks for being on the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. Great to have you on, my friend.
1: Thanks, Rob. Take care. You too.
0: Hey, thanks for listening in on the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and like and subscribe to the podcast because every week I bring you either great guests or great teaching to help you to grow your income and your impact with a selling book. And if you're interested in having your own best-selling book, check out my short video which explains our trademark process at beginmybook.com.